The words of verse 13 issue the demand that God was making to Pharaoh. Moses was instructed to stand before him again and to give him the message from the Lord. You'll notice that that message is nothing new. Indeed, we might say that this is at least the sixth time in which God demands Pharaoh to let Israel go. You know, men and women, when we come across repetition in the Scriptures, it ought not to be cast aside lightly. It ought not to be forgotten about. And the demand that God repeats here, it emphasizes certain truths to us. It surely underlines and emphasizes the greatness of Pharaoh's rebellion. How hard his heart was to repeatedly reject God's demand, even after all the destruction that had occurred as a result of the previous plagues. And yet when we think of today, is there any difference? For there is a hardness of men's hearts against the things of the Lord. There's a hardness of men's hearts against the message of the gospel. That is, despite the destruction that is often seen in television screens of earthquakes, of uh, floods and diseases and other things that are termed as natural disasters. These things are sometimes permitted demonstrating the power that is beyond man, and yet man shrugs it off and does not apply it to their own standing before the all-powerful, the all-creating God. Second thing that this demand that is repeated emphasizes is the greatness of God's grace. In spite of rejection, God continued to give Pharaoh opportunity to do the right thing. And we know from experience that God is still the same. How many times has he spoken in grace before some of us come to salvation or before some of us came to a particular service? Had it not been for the repeated calls, then humanly speaking, some of us wouldn't be where we are today. But men and women continually rejecting God's grace as Pharaoh does, God can cease calling or God can cease commanding. It is with this demand, having been faithfully delivered unto Pharaoh, that Moses proceeds to instruct him of what is about to take place on the, on the morrow and thereafter. And so that's why we come to consider the lightning. And the locusts. Won't you notice, first of all, a picture of blessing here? What they were about to experience was hail and lightning. Now, we, I suppose, in this country can't say we're strangers to those things. But the uniqueness about lightning and hail in Egypt is that Egypt doesn't do hail. There's no hail in Egypt. In fact, uh, there is almost no rain in that land. It depends upon the great Nile for its waters. And that was the one difference between it and the promised land that God was bringing the, going to bring the children of Israel to. And God had said about that land, Deuteronomy chapter 11 and the verse 11, But the land whither ye go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys and drinketh water of the rain of heaven. It's not like Egypt. 
Egypt was irrigated by the Nile, but rather the land of Canaan, where God was promising unto the children of Israel, it received the rain from heaven. It is said that even today, Cairo only has about two inches of rainfall per annum. We could get that in a, a good half hour in this country. And so this plague brings us nearly to that time when you consider Noah and his family were safely in the ark and those outside the ark were to see something that they'd never seen before. The boys and girls don't take any consideration to a few clouds moving over. But those in those days, the people in those days outside the ark never saw dark clouds. They never saw rain before. And in Egypt, Suddenly, the people saw the skies darkened and the flashes of lightning back and forth. Heavy hail was to come crashing down. There were elements that they had never witnessed before. You look at verse 24, it says, So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail. Very grievous. The word grievous there can also be mean very heavy. Such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. That's how unique this was. But before it was sent, I want you to notice the escape. Remember, Pharaoh was to hear that Moses has to say, and he presents it before him and with an opportunity. You look at the words of verse 19 with me. He says, Send therefore now, and gather thy cattle, and all that thou hast in the field. For upon every man and beast which shall be found in the field, and shall not be brought home, the hail shall come down upon them, and they shall die. He that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. Is that not the grace of God again in evidence? There's kindness shown. There's kindness been offered to Pharaoh. He was given a warning of not only what was to happen, but he's given a warning as how to avoid the worst effects of that plague. The people and the animals, they could be spared if they uh, were to stay under some shelter. And that's why I suggest to you that what we're looking at here in effect is a picture. But it's a picture of blessing. And it's a picture of the greatest blessing that man can receive. And that is of God's salvation for the lost souls of men and women and boys and girls. You just consider these things. The way of escape. It was given an ample time that they might flee from the judgment that was to come. Just like it was in Noah's day that I have already referenced. And the long suffering of God as Noah preached. 120 years as he built the ark, as he warned of the coming judgment, and of the only shelter in the ark. Pharaoh and his people had time to get ready. Verse 18 tells us, until tomorrow. And so does the sinner. For today, again, we can say we're yet in the day of God's grace to your soul. And God is, is giving you an opportunity to flee from the judgment that is to come. Another thought, the warning was unmerited. Moses is standing before Pharaoh. He's given him this opportunity. 
After all, Pharaoh didn't deserve any leniency. He had treated the people of God with contempt. He had treated the God of heaven with contempt. He had rejected every other warning and opportunity to do the right thing prior to this. He didn't merit the least of the Lord's mercies. And neither does the sinner who is born of Adam's fallen race. We don't deserve the least of the Lord's mercies. The warnings are unmerited. Thirdly, there's a simple way of escape here that all could understand. Nothing complicated about it. They had to flee. They had to take shelter. That's it. And so it is in the gospel. There's the just wrath of God against sin. The day of judgment is looming. It's coming. There's need to seek that safe haven, that refuge, and that shelter, which is only to be found in the person and the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he paid the punishment that our sin deserved. Simple. Flee from the wrath of come. Take shelter in Christ. And furthermore, this message was extended to all. It wasn't just to Pharaoh in his lofty position. It was a message for the servants as well. And you look at the verse, uh, verse 20. It was according to the word of the Lord. He that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. It's according to the word of the Lord. God's grace is seen. Is that not a glorious picture? When you bring all those things together of the offer of God's salvation that is extended by His grace to sinful, hell-deserving sinners. However, what is also in view is how many rejected that warning and did not escape the plague. How foolish. For they rejected the fact that every prediction, prophecy, if you want to call it, that Moses had previously spoken had indeed come to pass. They had nothing to lose by putting themselves and the animals into a place of shelter, but they regarded not the word of the Lord. Verse 21. He that regarded not the word of the Lord left his servants and his cattle in the field. I wonder, is this a picture of how many have created the word of God to their own soul? Note the extent of this plague. It devastated the land. Egypt must have recovered somewhat from the previous plagues, but that recovery is now wiped out. And the judgment reached, it reaches a new height because not only are the animals slain, but also any that were outside in terms of people. How frightening it must have been, as can be noted from the words that are used here. You follow with me, verse 18. It's a grievous hail. It's very heavy. It's accompanied, verse 28, by mighty thunderings. They'd never seen it or heard it before. The electric storm was so intense that the fire, verse 23, run along the ground. Don't think we even have seen much of that. How frightening. The hail smote the entire land, man and beast. Verse 25. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail smote every herb of the field and break every tree of the field. That's how heavy it was. It's interesting that as we consider this judgment that was expressive of the wrath of God. And we do read about it again. 
There will be similar expressions witnessed during the time that is known as the Great Tribulation. Revelation 16, verse 21, just to give you the reference, says this, And there fell upon men a great heel out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the heel, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. The picture painted is also, however, of a further exemption. Verse 26, God's people were spared from this judgment. And as previously, it teaches the blessing of safety only that is found being in Christ, in that eternal ark. And that safe haven and that refuge from the coming storms of God's wrath. I wonder, can I ask this morning, are you there? Are you in the ark? Christ Jesus. There's a picture here, I believe, of blessing. We bring it all together as a picture of God's salvation, what we have in Christ, what the sinner can have if they seek him as their Lord and Savior. But you notice also here Pharaoh's behavior. For what follows is the response that Pharaoh gives, of course, to this plague of healing, or at least... That is what it seems on the outward. At first glance, it might seem even commendable. But when we take a little look deeper and closer at this man, you begin to realize he didn't know how to be honest with God. Maybe you've heard it said of someone, he doesn't know how to tell the truth. A man can't tell you the truth. Well, here's a man who couldn't be honest with God. And that's why I suggest to you that his behavior is reckless. Verse 27, Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time, the Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. Those words are certainly the right language. They are what many might suppose to be words of repentance. He admits the sinning. He admits that there is a God in heaven who is righteous. He admits that he and his people are evil and wicked. There's a sense in which we cannot argue over anything is so far that he has said. But the difficulty is this. He didn't mean a word of those sentiments. Pharaoh had his back against the wall. Pharaoh is in a difficult place and he needs to get out of this trouble just like so many look upon circumstances that they might find themselves in today. And that being so, he and others like him will confess to do anything just to get out of trouble. And his recklessness is proved when later he recounts of his promise to let Israel go. You'll notice it in verse 34. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart. He and his servants, and the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. His duplicity comes out in plain view. He says one thing, but in practice he does the exact opposite. And now, not only is his heart hardened again, but so are also those of his servants. He is guilty of leading others to destruction by his rebellion. Never forget, child of God, that our lives and our words, they set some sort of example to others. It's either for good and God, 
or else it's for evil and destruction. What sort of example do we send? Do you see his request? Verse 28, Entreat the Lord, for it is enough. There be no more mighty thunderings and hail, and I will let you go, and ye shall stay no longer. The problem with it is it's conditional. In other words, Pharaoh was saying that he would let the people go if and when the hail and the storm of hail was stopped. That's not obeying the demand of God. Indeed, it amounts to disobedience. Because he should have been willing to let the people regardless of the storm because God had commanded him to do so. If he had been doing things right, he would have let them go and then he would have trusted God to cause the, the hail storm to cease. But yet, how many make the requests? How many say prayers today in a similar fashion and vein? Lord, if you'll get me out of this trouble, then I will do this, or I will do that or the other. And an empty vow is made. It's no different to Pharaoh. It's adding conditions where we haven't the right to do so. There seems to be a forgetting of who God is. That he is the sovereign, almighty God. That he dwelleth in light and accessible and full of glory. That he doeth according, uh, whatsoever he will, according to his armies in heaven and among the inhabitants of men. That he doeth according to his divine purpose and will. And he doesn't need the aid of any one of us to carry out that will. If God commands, then we should obey implicitly regardless of circumstances, without condition. Then the behavior of Pharaoh, it meant a removal. Because you'll see verse 29, Moses said unto him, As soon as I am gone out of the city, Verse 33, And Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread abroad his hands unto the Lord. Moses responded to him by stating that God was ready to forgive. God was ready to show mercy. He's not more ready to forgive than we are to seek it in repentance. But while Moses indicated what he should do or what he would do, yet he takes the opportunity to rebuke Pharaoh because Moses was discerning. He knew the double nature of Pharaoh. He wasn't taken in by him. You notice verse 30. But as for thee and thy servants, I know that ye will not yet fear the Lord God. I know you, Pharaoh. He saw through his well-worded confession and as much to say to Pharaoh that he was a fraud. He didn't yet fear the Lord God despite all his fair speeches. Moses was to leave the presence of Pharaoh and he was to keep his word. The purpose of his removal is worth considering. It was so that Pharaoh and the people would know that the earth is the Lord's. That's what we read at the end of verse 29 that thou mayest know how that the earth is the Lord's. It was a means of teaching Pharaoh about the Lord God. Moses was going out, would be, he would act in a manner which instructed mankind about the Lord. Dear child of God, our life should be an instruction manual to those who know not the Lord. They may, may not read the Bible, they will read your life, and they will read my life. But what do they see? What do they learn? What are they taught? 
It ought to be our prayer that our lives would instruct others of the one and true and living God of heaven and earth, that our lives would show forth the fruit of the God's Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc. It ought to be our prayer, men and women, that this church on the Tandragee Road would be known as a place where people are taught the Word of God, are taught the person of God, because there are so many that go under the name of church and they offer nothing but froth. Sometimes it's even framed into a course and the people are not taught. Children are not taught in the Sunday school. And as a result, we have a country today and people don't know God. That's the reality. Oh, we're supposed to be a Christian country. And yes, we have great privileges. The gospel is still preached. But there's a vast number of people and they don't know God. They don't know about God and they don't know God. And they're not strong and they're not able to do great things for God because they're not taught. The other thing I want you to notice is that Moses removing himself from Pharaoh meant that the place where he sought the Lord was not in Pharaoh's palace. But it was out of the city. I've never seen that. I have to confess, when I was looking and studying this, I've never seen that before. Verse 33, Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread abroad his hands unto the Lord and the thunders and hails ceased and the rain was not poured upon the earth. Now, that tells me something. That tells me that Moses was spared as he left the palace of Pharaoh to go out of that city. The hail and the thundering lightning was not upon Moses. He was protected as he walked through that city to the place of prayer where he lifted up his hands unto and his heart unto the Lord as he made effectual, fervent prayer. That should have caused Pharaoh's behavior to be changed, but it does not. Oh, to see the change in the hearts of men and women in these days, a change that only God can wrought. For he has promised not to do a renovation job, but he has promised to give us a new heart. Ezekiel chapter 36 is the promise of the Lord, verse 26. A new heart also will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. There's the promise to the unsee of today. He'll give you a new heart. He'll put a new spirit within you. A Holy Spirit that enables the repentant sinner to walk with God, to walk in accordance to his word, to live as a believer. That's the change we want to see. It's only the power of God that can do such. So having noticed Pharaoh's behavior, I want you to notice then the plague that blighted. Because Moses again, directed by God, goes in before Pharaoh to instruct him of what the next plague will be if he refuses to let the people go. 
Regardless of the response of Pharaoh, Moses is faithful to his task. But what I want you to notice in particular is the plan regarding this plague. The land was going to be covered with locusts. And in the opening verses of chapter 10, there's a repetition of the word that three times over. And therein is found the design or the plan of God. Just have to read the first two verses. This plague, as with others, would show, first of all, the power of God. Look at verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs before him. The plagues displayed the power of God. They demonstrated to Pharaoh and the people of Egypt that God was superior to any of those man-made gods that they worshipped. It is often through times of trouble, you know, that men will only start to think about the power of God. And we need to understand God's power if we are going to honor him as the only true and living God. Then there's another that has to do with telling about God. Verse 2, And that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and in thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt. These plagues give the parent the opportunity to tell their children about God. Indeed, it emphasized to them the responsibility they had in teaching the children Dear people, I want to underline that to you. Because here's something that was emphasized to the children of Israel. You look, turn over with me to Exodus chapter 12, for example. Exodus 12, I'll give you a couple of verses here. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? This is the Passover. That ye shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Egypt Israel and Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses, and the people bowed the head and worshipped. You notice verse 26, when your children asked you, what is this? That ye shall say, they were to teach the children. Come over with me to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a book that you'll see, remember, remember. I go into houses sometimes and I see those little forget-me-not stickers on the fridge freezer. Put the bins out. Or do this or do that. Well, Deuteronomy is like that to the children of Israel. They're on the verge of crossing over into the promised land. And Moses rehearses much of what they had already learned and taught. But he says, remember. That's why you'll find the commandments, for example, in Deuteronomy as well as Exodus 20. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget, there it is again, the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons, especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me and the people together, and I will make them to hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth, and that they may teach their children. 
Moses is reminding them. You're to teach the children. You're to teach your sons and your sons' sons. Give you one more. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 19. And ye shall teach them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Parents, these commandments are emphasized to us, for it is still the duty of parents to teach the children. Teach the children the things of the Lord. That's not a duty that you are to delegate to a Sunday school teacher. Or you are to delegate to a childminder. You are to teach the children. I'll tell you something. You don't teach them. The world will teach them plenty that's wrong. And don't depend on the schools to teach them either. Doing away with the assemblies and doing away with the teaching of God's word in many places. Teach the children. Parents, plural. And the third, that has to do with the knowledge of God. Verse 2, if I take you back to chapter 10. And that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son, of thy son's son, what things I have wrought in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that ye may know how that I am the Lord. There's three that's underlined them. The plan of God was that these plagues would increase the people's knowledge about God. I wonder is that how we would look upon trials and difficulties that arise in our life? You may be questioned, you may be asked why. I wonder do you ever consider because of them I know God better? The psalmist was there. The psalmist said, 119 and verse 71, he said this, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Are we able to say that? Times of difficulty, time of a trial. You know, Lord, it's been good for me because I... I've been drawn closer to you. I know you more. We're always learning more about the Lord, even though, even through difficult circumstances. And the more we learn about God, of course, then the more we can share with others. Then you'll notice the plea that is made about this plague. How, when Moses stood before Pharaoh again, he faced him with a question. That question you'll find in verse 3. How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. His proud heart was preventing him from obeying the word of the Lord. And another caution is issued to him should he disobey this time as well. Verse 4. Else, if I refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow will I bring the locusts into thy coast. A warning of impending judgment was being issued so that he might change his ways. But as before, he refuses the grace offered, and therefore judgment came in the form of plagues. And plagues are uh, uh, form of locusts. And I have to say that the plague of locusts is what is considered one of the terrors of the East. 
They prey upon the crops. They consume everything before them. If I can make reference again to the psalmist and how he describes this time, I think it throws some light upon it. Psalm 105 and verse 34, I'll read it to you. It says, They did not. Psalm 105 and verse 34. He spake, and the locusts came, and caterpillars, and that without number, and did eat up all the herbs in their land, and devoured the fruit of their ground. That's just a picture of devastation. They came at God's bidding. They would leave at God's bidding. And when the devastation was to be seen throughout the land, when it is said that they covered the face of it, so that the land was darkened and they ate everything so that there remained not any green thing. It's the servants of Pharaoh who make the plea. It's not Pharaoh. And you'll notice it in the words of verse 7. Pharaoh's servants said unto him, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you see what they say to him? Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? Because the land was destroyed. They plead that Pharaoh would do as Moses had requested. Let the people go. Pharaoh, do you not know that Egypt is destroyed? He was acting as if he did not see the obvious. And the best that he can offer is further compromises that are rejected. You see, he will not submit to God. He's a hardened sinner. His hardened and unyielding heart was a blight in the land as much as the plague of locusts was. The like of which had never been seen before, nor indeed after. We didn't read it, but look at verse 14. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested on all the coasts of Egypt. Very grievous were they. Before them there were no such locusts as they, neither after them shall be such. Here's a uniqueness again with this plague. And the hard-bladed heart was to show itself in the pretense that followed. Verse 16. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste. For he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Neither forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once. And entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. Just as before, he feigned a sorrow over his sin. There's no submission of God to, to God. He only wanted the plague to be taken from them. He wasn't about to let Israel go. And his deceitful actions and pretense stand in direct opposition to that of Moses and to the Lord. You look at verse 18, and he went out from Pharaoh, that is Moses, and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a mighty strong west wind which took away the locusts and cast them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the coasts of Egypt. Not one. Every last locust was removed. But there is the reneging of Pharaoh. He persisted in his evil ways. And so God judged him by hardening his heart. He wouldn't let Israel go. And men and women, I just want to finish this morning by drawing your thought to this. Thank God we can speak of one who didn't renege. 
in fulfilling the work and the plan that the Father gave to him. That one was the Lord Jesus Christ who set his face as a flint toward Jerusalem. He said, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That covenant of grace was ratified through him laying down his life on the cross by the shedding of his own precious blood. So that the sins of all who call upon him for salvation might be pardoned, might be forgiven, might be covered over, so that not one remaineth. Dear sinner, he's still faithful to his word. He doesn't renege on his word or his promises. And the Lord has said, Come unto me, all yet labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's the promise. I wonder, will you take him at his word this morning and be saved? Child of God, Rest on his word. His promises are yea and amen in Christ. They're sure. He'll not take those promises from you. They're certain. Thank God he's one who remaineth forever the same. May the Lord bless his word even to our hearts this morning.